So if you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can, you can either click with me or turn to. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, as we journey through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians together, and we're in this series called Relationships, What's Your Status? And so today we're going to look at this issue of the love of God. And in the title of this message, the title of this sermon is, is, is hit the like button into where, where you have to respond to the love of God. You have to understand the love of God. The fact is that was a prayer that Paul had that, that, that you'd be able to grasp the love of God. And so, so maybe before we start this talk, maybe before we start this sermon, we could just in our hearts just de- declare something, and that would be this. That a lot of times when we start talking about the love of God, and it's sometimes easier to sing about that his love never gives up on us, his love never runs out on us, and all of that other stuff. Um, a lot of times it's easier for us to understand it intellectually and mentally than experience it. And a lot of times when we start talking about the love of God, people begin to push back because it's like, well, that's like for everybody else. I mean, that's for all the church people that have their life together. And let me just tell you, none of us have our life together, okay? So if we can just understand that before we journey through this, and that, that you would walk through this topic, you would walk through this sermon with me and realize, guess what? This is for you. And God has something today that he wants to say to you very direct and very clear about his love for you. Um, so... Uh, maybe before we start, let me tell you about Boudreaux and Thibodeau, okay? So Boudreaux and Thibodeau, yeah, that's an interesting segue, but Boudreaux and Thibodeau uh, had never flown, never been out of the state of Louisiana before, and they had a dream to go to Hawaii. That was their dream, and so they saved up money for years and finally got enough money together. They bought their airplane tickets. They, they flew out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, headed to, to Hawaii, and they're like, they're like, first time in a plane. And so 30 minutes into the flight, all of a sudden there's like this boom, and it just rocks the whole plane. And so the pilot comes on the, the intercom and says, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm sorry to announce that we've lost one of our engines. But no worries, because we have three more, and our, our plane is, is, is equipped. It can make it there on three engines. The only thing is we're going to be about 30 minutes late. And so Boudreaux looked at Thibodeau, and they kind of shrugged. And a few minutes later, all of a sudden, another boom on the other side of the airplane. Pilot comes back on and says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry, we've lost another engine. But no worries, this plane is equipped and it can make it there to Hawaii on, on two engines. The only problem is we're going to be about an hour late. And so Boudreaux looked at Thibodeau and they just went back to munching on their peanuts and like whatever. And so about 30 minutes later, another boom and it just rocks the whole airplane and they kind of look at each other and the pilot comes back on and he says, uh, uh, folks, I'm so sorry to tell you, we have lost a third engine. But no worries, this plane can make it to Hawaii on one engine. Uh, We're just going to be about an hour and a half late. Boudreaux looks at Thibodeau and says, man, if we lose another engine, we'll be up here all day. (laughs) You know... You know, there's sometimes in life, we just, we just miss it. There's sometimes in life, we don't understand the implications. We don't understand what's being said, what's being announced. And Paul had this fear for the church in there in Ephesus, that maybe they didn't get it, maybe they didn't grasp how much God loved them. Now, it's so important for us to remember that the context is, is to believers. The context is, is to church people that go to church regularly and all that other stuff. So here's what Paul says in, a, in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse, verse 13, here's what he says. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, 
may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so this is the second prayer of Paul as we've journeyed together through the book of Ephesians. And this is a very emotional prayer. It's a very passionate prayer. And we know that from some of the language that, that is in this prayer. So three principles this morning, if, if we're going to hit the like button, if we're going to understand how much God loves us and, and what that literally means in our life, just not on an intellectual level, but on, on, on a level that we, we actually get to experience it for ourselves, the first thing is this, and this may be the most important one of all, is that we've just got to understand the greatest work that God wants to do in your life is in you. The greatest work that God wants to do in your life is in you. See, a lot of times our focus is on circumstances. Our focus is on the external. But then we come to this passage and we realize that, guess what? The greatest work that God wants to do in your life, it's internal. It's not external because the internal always affects the external, but it's the internal. He wants to work in you. Verse 14, just such an interesting verse. It says, for this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, this is a passionate prayer. This is an emotional prayer. And the reason is this. You see, that, that may not be a big deal to us that he says, for this reason, I kneel. But, but Paul, was, Paul was Jewish. Paul was a Jew. And so Paul's spiritual heritage, Paul's spiritual background was this, that Jews did not, when they prayed, when they worshiped, they did not kneel. Uh, a Jewish person, um, they, would, they would worship or they would pray several different ways. Uh, they, would pray, they would pray standing up. Uh, they... they they would pray standing up. They would pray with their hands lifted up. They would pray laid out and flat out on the ground. But a Jewish person would not kneel when they prayed because for them, kneeling was emotion. And now you have Paul, that God has done a work in Paul's life. And Paul is growing in his expression of worship. In other words, Paul isn't stuck on the traditions of his past. He's not stuck on the traditions of a home church. He's not stuck in how he was raised. All of a sudden, you see in Paul's life, all of a sudden, Paul is growing in his expressions of worship and is changing, which every one of us should be growing in our expressions of worship. We should not be stuck in our traditions. We should not be stuck in our past. And so God begins to do a work in Paul's life, and all of a sudden, he's kneeling. He would have never done that before. See, for... For a Jewish person, kneeling was a sign of emotion. But guess what? For a Christian, for a believer, it was a sign of humility. It was a sign of, of submitting to someone greater than you. It was, it was a sign of you yielding to someone else that has authority in your life. Now, here's the interesting thing about this, Paul's prayer. Now, remember, I told you Paul is praying to believers. He's praying to Christians. So important for us to get, so important to us to understand. And so Paul prays three things. He asked God for three things for these Christians. He asked God that, that Christ would dwell in, in their hearts by faith. He, a, he asked God that they would know the, the love of God, and, it would, and that love of God would be so deep in their life, it would, it would surpass all knowledge. He prayed for the fullness of God in their life. Uh, and so he prayed those three things, that they'd understand his love, um, they'd understand the fullness of, lo of his love, uh, of God in their life, and that they would understand that Christ dwells in his heart. Now, here's the interesting thing. 
If you've been journeying with us through the book of Ephesians, you know in Ephesians chapter 1, when you're in Christ, Paul already said you had that. You, you can read it for yourself later. You can go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and you can look at this prayer. And Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that when you're in Christ, you, you already have those things. So why would Paul be praying this for a church? Why would Paul be praying this for a group of Christians? He is praying this for a group of Christians to help them understand you have these things available to you, but you need to seek to understand them. You need to desire them into your life to where it's just not, it's just not a principle in your life. It's just not something intellectually you know that God loves you and you know the height and the depth and the love and all that other stuff. That you know that God loves you. I mean, it's one thing in the life of a believer to know that Christ loves you. It's one thing in the life of the believer to know that Christ loved you so much that he went to the cross and died for your sins and all of those other things. But there's a difference what Paul would say. And there's a difference what Scripture would say of knowing something in principle or theory and then actually experiencing it in your inner being. And so here's what Paul's doing. Paul's praying for this church's believers. And says, man, God, I just pray for them. That they know this personally. They know this in their inner being. That the fullness of God, the height and the depth and the width and the length of God. See, unfortunately, it is possible for the Christian to live a hollow life because they may they may know and believe and they may know intellectually and they may know mentally but you never really experienced it in your heart to where you can sit in a church service like this and you can talk about the love of God and you can talk about the height and the length and the depth and the width of his love and you go, wait a minute that's that's for everybody else but me. You, you, don't know, you, don't know what I've, you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know what sin I've committed. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know who I've betrayed. You don't know what I've done. And as a result of that, your past, your shame, a sin, can be holding you back from truly experiencing the love of God, the height, the depth, the width, the length. It's like, it's like someone leaving you an inheritance. That's a lot of money in the bank, and it could solve every one of your problems. And you know it's there. But you never make a withdrawal. You never, ever, you never even tap into it, even though you know it's there and you know you're taken care of. You never experience it personally. I'm telling you the greatest work that God wants to do in your life is in your heart. See, Based on his word, I, I don't know. I don't have to know what, what you've done in your past. And I don't know, I don't have to know your biggest and baddest sin that you think you've ever committed to be able to say this. I don't have to know what you've done because I know what he's done for you on the cross. And when he says how high and how wide and how deep and how long his love is, that means that guess what? There is no sin that God's love does not forgive and cannot forgive. I mean, you see in verse 16, verse 17, verse 20, you just see this, this thought all the way through this prayer. Verse 16, in your inner beings, 
uh, verse 17, in your hearts. Verse 20, at work within us. In other words, the inner work of God should be a priority in your life. It's a priority in his life. And the greatest work that he wants to do in your life is in you. Now listen, this is such an interesting prayer on a lot of levels. Okay, so culturally, let's just talk about culturally for a second. Okay, so they're first, they're, they're first century Christians. Uh, they live in Asia Minor. And so what was going on at Asia Minor, Asia Minor at the time? Uh, there was disease. Uh, there was starvation. There was poverty. Uh, the infant uh, mortality rate was really, really high. Um, there, there was a threat of persecution. There was a threat of war. I mean, there's all these circumstances going on. And I'm telling you, and Paul didn't pray for any of that. I mean, Paul prayed differently than, than I may have would have prayed. I may, I may have prayed for their circumstances and, and, and the things that they're dealing with. But see, Paul knew the greatest work that God wants to do in your life is in you, uh, not external. And we'll get to that. But he wanted to do something in you because Paul understood this. Paul understood that, guess what? If you and I get to the point and we understand God's love for us personally in our inner being, and it's something that we experience, then guess what? We can go through any circumstance. When we get that, when we understand that at that level, when people betray us, when people devastate us, when people talk about us, when people criticize us, we know who our identity is in Christ. We, know who, we, we understand the fullness of God. We understand who we are in him. And it changes everything in our life. And so Paul is coming to the place and he's praying that they would have this experience to where they know the love of God. And they wouldn't focus on the external. They wouldn't focus so much on the circumstance. They would focus... What God wants to do in your life, I mean, the circumstances you're walking through right now, are you, are you focused, what are you focused on? Are you focused on the circumstance? Are you focused on the situation? Are you focused on what God wants to do in your life? He may be using a situation, a circumstance he does in my life often to build character, teach you how to, teach you how to forgive someone, teach you how to overlook an, an offense to press you closer into him so that you understand the, the love of God and it's for you because and it's just a biblical principle. And, well, and you know this in life. We can't control the things that happen to us, right? We can't control the people around us as much as we would like to. I mean, you ever tried that? I mean, if you try to control the people around you, it will only frustrate them and you, right? I mean, it just, it just doesn't work. And so what Paul's trying to help them to understand is, guess what? You can't control the circumstances. You can't control the situations. You cannot control what happens to you, but here's what you can control. You can control what happens in you. You can control what God is doing in your life. See, we want to see the external, but he's focusing on the internal because the greatest thing that God wants to do in your life, the greatest thing that God wants to do in my life is work on the inside, this inner being. Verse 16, it says that according to his riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. That word in the Greek, strengthen, strengthen that's from an external source. That's not, that's not self-help. That's not any of that other stuff. Uh, that, is, that is an external power source. That is a strength to the place that, well, that is, a, that is such a strong Greek word for strength. It means to have dominion over, to have control over. I mean, it, it, it has this resistance or the strength to overcome what you're going through. And he says, according, I grant you to be strengthened, not of your strength, with his power through his spirit in your inner being. In other words, that his, his will for our life is that we're dominated by him. That, that he sits on the throne of our heart. 
He wants us to be strengthened to the place to where we just don't, we just don't gut through life. We don't just endure life. But we live life victorious. We live life different. I mean, many times as I look back over at my life and I'm like, ah, I wasted so many seasons of my life because I was just like gutting through it. I was just like enduring it. He doesn't want you to endure it. He wants you to be able to live a victorious life. He wants you to live a life differently because the inner working that he's doing in your life. And if you're a believer and if you're a Christian here this morning and you may know the love of God, you may know Jesus died for you on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin, but let me ask you the question Paul was praying for them. Have you come to the place where you've grasped the love of God? Not for the world, not for your neighbor. Have you come to the place in your life where you have grasped the love of God for you personally? See, the word grasp is much different than the word believe. The word grasp literally means this, to take hold of something, to grip something, to hit the like button. It means to apply what you know to be true. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 34, 8, says, Oh, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's something you have to do. There's something you have to appropriate in your life. Just taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man, blessed is the woman that takes refuge in him. And so what's dominating your life right now? What, what, what dominates your life? What are you grasping for right now? Are you grasping for the love and the acceptance of a group of people or a person that they may never accept you? They may never say you're okay. In which when you do that, you give them the ability to control your life. Are, are you grasping for him? Are you taking hold of him so that you know that his love is for you personally? Second principle for this is, is the greatest work, first off, the greatest work that God wants to do in your life and my life is in us. The second principle is it is what he does in us that releases him to work through us. So he always starts in the internal. The internal uh, uh, affects the external. So here's what the scripture says, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being, being rooted and grounded in love. Fact is, uh, when I, just, just a side note, this, this is just a plug for our, our next series coming up in a couple of weeks called Duply, uh, Deeply Rooted. And it was in study when I came through the, to that verse that said, being rooted and grounded in love, that we need to understand that. It was just like God pricked my heart. We need to understand what does it mean to be deeply rooted in him because guess what? I, our foundation is what supports us. Our roots support us. We don't support our roots. And so what does it mean to be deeply rooted in him? And so that's where we're going to journey after this series. And, and so, but anyway, so here we go, verse 18. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so he works in us. Why? Verse 17 answers that. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell really means to have dominion over. That, that, that word dwell means to make himself at home. 
That word dwell means to be at home in your life. And so what Paul was praying is that this group of Christians wouldn't live a compartmentalized life. And so they have these areas of their life over here, and they say, God, you cannot go in those rooms, and you, you cannot go in my entertainment room, you cannot go in my, my hobby room, you can't go in per, career, per, uh, possessions, anything like that. I mean, I just need you to stay in my church room. I just need you to stay there. But, but Paul is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, live an in integrated life with integrity where your life is integrated together to where all of a sudden you understand that man, God sits on the throne of your heart and he dwells all areas of your life, whether you're at school or whether you're at work or whether you're at home or whether you're at church or, or wherever you are. It's just this integrated life to where you understand it and you get it that God has done such a work in you internally that now he's working externally and he dwells in every area of your life. And Paul says, the way that you gain strength, the way that I gain strength, is know the depths of his love for you. That's how we're strengthening. I mean, you can say, well, wait, I, man, I know God loves me. But you don't know what I'm walking through. You don't know my circumstance. You don't know what people are saying about me. You don't know how people have hurt me or what they've said. I'm telling you. That's because you don't know the love of God to the depths. Turf, you, you've grasped it. And you know who you are and who you are in Christ. Yeah. Until you get that, you're living an incongruent Christian life. You're living a, a powerless life. I mean, Paul says again that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, listen. Scripture, that's a subtle con concept, and it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. In the Bible, whenever the Bible uses the word uh, to the full measure of God, the fullness of God, whether it's in the Old Testament, whether it's in the New Testament, it, it, he's not communicating emotion, he's not communicating feeling, what's he communicating this? A new kind of life. A new way of living. To where you understand that you've been, you've been grounded and you've been rooted in love. To where you understand the fullness of God and what that means for you. In other words, you, you have grasped the love of God to the depths that it's not only changed you internally, it's changed you externally. And how you handle relationships, how you handle career, how you handle prof uh, professions, how you handle situation. What, what Paul is praying is Paul is praying that you would have a, a firm grip, a firm understanding on his love. See, when you, when you grasp the love of God, you trust him. Many years ago, I, uh, I had surgery, and, and uh, it was a long time back, and, and so the surgeon that was performing the surgery happened to be a friend of mine, and so uh, the surgery was scheduled for a Friday. He, he called me on Thursday, and he says, hey, Charlie, I don't, I don't care what you're doing on Thursday. Uh, uh, I, I got us a tea time. You're playing golf with me. And I go, really, why, why, are you, why, why are you so urgent about that? He goes, well, in case I kill you on Friday, I want to be able to play golf with you one last time. And I guess that's doctor's humor. I don't know. I didn't find it humorous. <laughs> and so we went and played golf, and we're on the golf course, and so I'm asking him the details about my surgery and all this other stuff. And, and he's trying to explain it to me, and I'm getting frustrated. He's getting frustrated. I mean, he's like, I just want to play golf. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of concerned about this whole deal. And I'm asking him all these questions, and all of a sudden, he, and I'll never forget it. All of a sudden, he just turned to me and looked at me. He says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. 
It took me 12 years of medical school to learn all this stuff. I possibly cannot teach you everything there is to know for you to understand in a way you can understand about this surgery. You're just going to have to trust me. That's the same thing with God, right? His ways are not our ways. We cannot comprehend what's going on. We cannot comprehend our understanding. And I'm telling you, when you have not grasped the love of God in your life and you begin pushing back, it's an issue that you don't trust him. It's an issue because, see, here's the deal. When you and I understand how high, how wide, how deep, how long the love of God is for us, then we trust him in all situations, all circumstances, because we get it, we understand. He loves me deeply. He wants the best for me. He wants good things for me. He wants to be able to bless me, and as a result of that, I can trust him. See, when he does an inner work in the inside of your life, in your inner being, and you grasp his love, it's a game changer. It changes everything because for the first time in your life, you can trust him with every situation in your life. Third and the last principle, if we're going to grip this, if we're going to understand this, is this. God wants to release power in our lives that is not of this world. I mean, he wants to release this power in our life that really doesn't make sense. I mean, really, that, that other people don't even understand or may not even be able to get. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do less than we think, just enough to get by. So you just kind of endure life. You just kind of suck it up and gut through life. No, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power, where's the power at work? Within us. It's not external. The power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what he's saying, he wants to infuse his presence into our life in such a way that it just, it changes our life. And it's more than we can ask and it's more than we can think when we trust him, when we walk through those situations and we just trust him and we end up on the other side and says, God, you did more than I could even think. You did more than I could even ask. I, man, I was so broken. I was so hurt. I was so devastated. I didn't think you could put this back together. See, this is not for everyone else in the room. This is for you and everybody else in the room, regardless of where you've been, regardless of how broken your life has been, regardless of the pain you had. And you may be in a situation right now that some things are growing out of you, things are coming out of you, things are growing out of you and causing some problems. But I'm telling you what Paul would say, what the Word would say, it is not the things growing out of you that's the problem. It's the roots. It's what's going on internally. Because I'm telling you, you know this, uh, when you squeeze something, you know, what, you know what comes out? When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, you know what comes out? Toothpaste, whatever's inside. Just a principle. Whenever you get squeezed in life through circumstances and situations and hurt, whatever is inside of you is coming out. It's coming out on, on, on husbands and wives and relationships and family and, and friends and all that other stuff. And so the question you may be having or, or the question you're asking, well, okay, I, I get it, but help me understand how do I grasp his love? Well, I'm glad you asked. There's, there's three things telling you if you're serious about this in your life and you want to understand how much he loves you, there's three things that you must do. The first one is this. You must have a devotional. We call it life journaling here. Uh, we, we life journal here. It's a systematic way that we, we, we walk through the entire Bible in a year together. Uh, we read scripture. You read scripture daily. 
And so it starts with a devotional. And I know a lot of times when I, when I start talking this stuff, people are like, oh, would he just be quiet about Life Journal and devotional and all that stuff? You know what? I'm not going to be quiet because I, I know how it's changed people's lives. Listen, when we were on, Karen and I were on vacation and we drove 18 hours one way, so, so we had a lot of time in the, in, in the car. And, and I, was, I was mentally going through a checklist of, 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 the, of the top things that people have thanked me for for Fellowship the Rockies. And this is other than salvation and them meeting Christ here. I'm talking about the, the disciplines of the Christian life. And it, it kind of shocked me when I just mentally went through that list. It may shock you. The number, one of the n- number one things that I get thanked, about, thanked for about Fellowship the Rockies is helping people to understand biblical baptism. Helping them to be a little bit uncomfortable, break the traditions of the past, and what a biblical baptism is like because it just marked their life. I've got email after email after email. You know, the second one, life journaling. Thank you for not shutting up about life journaling. I finally did it. And it was hard at first and it was difficult at first. But oh my gosh, now with what God is doing in my life. Um, you know, the third one, the third one was thank you for pushing us into life groups and just building community with other people and building relationships. I've never had really Christian friends before and we've become like a family and we've prayed together and we've helped each other. Um, the, the fourth one was thank you for t- talking about money and making us a little bit uncomfortable and helping us learn the principles that when we give, he blesses. I'm telling you, these, these disciplines, I've got email after email and so if you want to grasp the love of God in your life, it's starting out with life journaling. We've got some in the Welcome Center you can pick up on your way out. It's a, all of our pastors do this. All of our leaders do this. We, we, we have many of our pastors' meetings. We life journal together. Worship team life journals together. It's a huge value. Life journaling devotional has three parts. Uh, where you read the Bible, uh, that's God talking to you. God speaks to us directly from his word. The second part is, is prayer. That's where we talk to God. God talks to us through the, the word. We pray to him. We communicate with him. And then reflection. Reflection is so important, and that's why we use life journaling to where we reflect on, on the scripture. That's where we talk to ourselves. We, God talks to us, we talk to God, and then we talk to ourselves. And fact is, when you, when you look at this issue uh, of to, to grasp, you know what the word grasp means? It means to, to grind it down into your life. It, 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 it means to wrestle it into your life. It means to struggle it into your life to where when, when you're life journaling, I'm life journaling, and you come across that verse and you go, oh, wow, uh, I'm doing this. I'm responding this way. God's word tells me to do this to where you, you struggle it into your life to where your life lines up with him. That's what life journaling is about. I mean, when Paul says, Paul just says, for this reason, man, I, I kneel before my father. The father in their culture had, had sovereign authority in the home. And when someone knelt to a father, when someone knelt to a king, it was saying, I submit to you, I, I obey you. And that's a part of devotional time. Second thing is this, is, is obedience. It's to where you, you take life journal and you take that verse and just as Paul said, for this reason I kneel, it was a sign of, of obedience. It wasn't only a form of worship, it was a sign of obedience. And say, God, I'm going to align my life in that area with you. And the same is true with us to where we come to the place and we say, you know what? 
uh, we don't read the Bible just for information. And we read the Bible as a living word, as a living document, to get it into our life and how we handle situations and relationships. And the last thing is this, is the way that we get it into our life is, is community. It's so interesting to me, verse 18, and, and you're going to see the, the, the verse come up on the screens, and, and uh, that yellowed underline is what is, is underlined in my Bible. Here's what the scripture says, may have power together, together with all the believers, together with all the Christians, together with all the saints. In other words, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about community. You know, there's a lot of people think, well, God, God heals people in isolation. He never heals people in isolation. He heals people in community. And see, Christians, uh, we should put the unity in community. We should come to the place to where we have true community, but there's a lot of people that push back. There's a lot of people who say, hey, that's kind of weird to me. I, 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 I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I desire that. But listen, God would say this. God would say the way you understand the fullness of God the way that you understand the, the height and the width and the depth and the length of God's love for you is to be willing to come into a life group, be willing to come into a community. Because it's through community. I'm telling you, my life group, uh, I, I don't lead it. Uh, and uh, our life group has become family to us. And they've walked with us through some difficult stuff, and we've walked with them through some difficult stuff, and we've spoken truth into each other's life. And I've got email after email what has happened in people's lives when they're finally willing. So you know what? I'm, I'm going to grasp the love of God in my life. And I'm going to do a devotion on my life journal. I'm going to obey his word. And I'm going to be willing to come into community. But the, the problem is, a lot of people, we, we quickly have our excuses. Gideon was like that. God asked Gideon to go save Israel. Uh, here, here's what he answered. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Remember this, the greatest thing God wants to do in, in you is in you first and then external. Watch Gideon's problem. My clan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh. And I'm the least in my entire family. In other words, Gideon's saying, Here, here's, my, here's my excuse. We all have our excuses, right? I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. I don't want to do that. We all have, our, we all have those times when we know God's word says, and we say, but Lord. I mean, we all have our butts, right? And you know, you know what? And some of us have really tiny butts and some of us have really big butts. <laughs> but we all have our butts, right? And we like our butts. And we like our excuses. And we like to sit on our butts. And we like to talk about our excuses. And we like to talk about them. But God says this, how about this? If you want to grasp the love of God, how about this? How about you get off your butts and come into community and learn with everybody else the fullness of God, the unity of God, and that God loves you high, how high, how long, how wide, and how deep because it's in community. I'm telling you, it's in community that we get that and we understand that. And every one of us has to get past our excuses. And say, guess what, God? We may not understand it, but here's what we're going to do. 
you're going to sit on the throne of our heart, and we're going to trust you and see what happens. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you just real quickly, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, how does he want you to respond? The response is, I mean, we, it's so important. We're not here just for information. Man, we're here to grasp this. We're here to understand this. We're, we're here to, to wrestle this into the soul of our life. And so it may be for you that you need to accept him for the very first time and ask him to come into your life. Your next step may be to follow him in believer's baptism and say, I'm going to mark this. I'm going to mark my Christian life. For some of you, man, you may be a believer and you're living a hollow Christian life because you don't really understand the height and the depth and the width and the length of his love for you. You don't understand the fullness of God. It may even cause you in your spirit when I say, God loves you. It may cause you to flinch. When I say, in Christ, you're totally and completely forgiven. You're deeply loved. You're perfect and complete not lacking anything. Maybe you're here this morning and say, you know what, I, I just need, I need prayer. I, I just need someone to pray for me. I, we want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, we want to pray for you. And so here's what we're going to ask you to do, that, that after I pray, when we stand, as you stand, you step up, just step out in the aisles, begin making your way down. There'll be some prayer partners coming with you. Other people will be coming with you too in prayer. But I, I'm telling you, we have story after story what God has done in the front of this place when people just humbled themselves and received prayer. It's what Paul said, for this reason, for this reason I kneel, for this reason I pray, so I can understand the fullness of God. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, you come after I pray when we stand. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. And by the power of your name, would you pull this church very closely to you? And would people be willing to respond to you? Will there be no barriers in this room? And would people find freedom? Would burdens be lifted? Would prayers be answered? For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.